Uh, 1 Corinthians, someone raise your hand and tell me what is the theme of the book of 1 Corinthians? Okay, correction and condemnation. Hopefully at last group standing, you all got that one right because we go over it quite often. Correction and condemnation. And there are different areas where Paul is pinpointing where they're struggling. And he's condemning them, he's calling them out, and he is asking them to repent. Some of those areas that we've already looked at, we've already looked at the introduction of the book. Uh, We have looked at how they are dealing with divisiveness, and we studied that for a long time, chapter 1, verse 10 through chapter 4, the end of chapter 4. Then we briefly talked about dealing with tolerance, dealing with tolerance, and uh, what was the egregious scenario that was going on in the church that Paul rebuked them for when it came to tolerance. Yeah, it was so weird that no one wants to answer, right? The guy uh, was having an affair with his father's new wife, right? That's one of those weird, awkward, yucky things that we had to, uh, had to go through. Uh, then we started looking at, Max started in chapter 6, verse 1. It says, dealing with lawsuits. Dealing with lawsuits, and I have no idea why it worked now, but it didn't work a second ago. I just kept pushing buttons, and it finally worked out. Chapter 6 says, Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? And this is the part where you have your Bible, and it's chapter chapter 6, verse 1. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? I say this to your shame. It is so that there is not among you one wise man who is able to decide between his brethren. But brother goes to law with brother and that before believers. Actually, then, it is already a defeat for you. You have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren. And this is a good time to ask Danham to check that and make sure it's on like 68 or something back there. That would be awesome. So you had this scenario where there were disputes within people of the church. It's not talking about those outside of it. So if you owned a company and someone did something wrong to you, it's okay to go through the legal system. But we're talking about Christian to Christian. There's a dispute. And they were dragging them into the Gentile courts. Well, they should have gone to the elders to to work through that dispute. And it goes on to say, and this is where verses 9 through 11, it, it could have its own kind of subsection, or it could be lumped into this lawsuit part of it as a conclusion. It says, or do you not know And that's why I feel that it's part of this section, because he's driving it home, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. All right, don't go to those that are not part of the kingdom. Go to those for kingdom matters to those that are in the kingdom. Such were some of you, but you were washed You were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. And then he transitions here 
All right, in chapter 7, we're going to see dealing with marriage, but he transitions here to dealing with immorality, dealing with immorality, and we know the word immorality is where we get our English word for pornography, so it isn't just sexual sin, but a lot of what's being addressed here is sexual sin, and our society, all right, we we struggle with greed, we struggle with pride, we struggle with selfishness, and we definitely struggle with sexual immorality. Sometimes people make sexual immorality the end-all be-all, and that's all they talk about, all right? And it, it doesn't really help because there's lots of sins that we commit that we need to focus on. But today, the focus is on identifying sexual sin and running from it, rooting it out from your life. The official title of our lesson is Fly You Fools. Fly, you fools. You know exactly what I mean in many ways. You know that when you are tempted, that you need to run from the situation, but you also know that this is a reference to Gandalf when he has battled the Balrog and he is falling down and he looks at his companions and he says, fly, you fools. Don't try to fight this dude, okay? Don't stay here for me. Don't waste your time, all right? Go, get out of here. And the little raccoon would echo the same, and so would several other things, all right? You have this little kitty cat, and then you have Frodo, so sad that Gandalf is falling down into the abyss. I want you to flip to Proverbs 5. Let's go to Proverbs 5. Keep, uh, keep your spot here. And the Proverbs have much to say about immorality, and it puts it in such plain terms, vivid pictures. A father writing to his son says, my son, give attention to my wisdom. And you do that all the time, right? You sit down at the footstool of your dad and you say, hey, dad, what are you going to teach me today? What can I learn from you and apply, right? Incline your ear to my understanding that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey. Now, the word adulteress means strange woman. Any form of temptation. In our day and age, all right, it could be a married woman enticing you. It could be someone who's not married enticing you. It could be someone, whether they're doing it face-to-face, through text messages, through posting stuff about themselves online. And we know all the gross stuff that happens on Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat and all of those things. The woman is trying to sell themselves and is trying to entice you to think about and to act on things that are forbidden. The lips of an adulteress drip honey and smoother than oil is her speech. Looks good. It's tempting. But what's the reality? But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. Don't even. So back then, they knew who the harlot was. They knew where to find the prostitute. They knew where to find them, right? Whether it was in the marketplace or whether it was the home. Or, and he says, don't go to her door. 
Don't give your, an op- yourself an opportunity. Don't even put yourself in place to face that. Look at verse 20. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress or a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. And I think that most of you would agree to this on the surface. Sexual immorality is always stupid. It will always lead to bad things. Here we see his own iniquities will capture the wicked and he will be held in the cords of his sin. It never works out. It never delivers on what it promises you or what it entices to you. So there's stories of men living double lives to please themselves and hiding things. And you know what happens? They get caught. And their marriage is destroyed and their family is destroyed. And there's men who who watch pornography and and listen to gross stuff and feed into all of this stuff. And it warps the mind and it creates this sneaky, lying lifestyle. In the moment, it sounds good. It's enticing. But we as Christians, having been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, need to fly as far away as we can from this life. John MacArthur says this, the Bible's advice for avoiding sexual involvement outside of marriage is simple. Stay as far away from the persons and places likely to get you into trouble. The truth is that God has given sex in the context of marriage, and it's a beautiful thing. One man, one woman. Married, and you can enjoy that, and it's it's great, right? But what does man do? Man takes that good thing and messes it up, corrupts it. Oh, I don't need just one partner. I should have multiple partners. And now it's saying, well, I don't need to sleep with a woman. I could go sleep with a man, and a woman can sleep with a woman, and all of this terrible stuff, and our world's in this gross, disgusting place because of the love of sin, especially sexual sin. The first point we see are the elementary elements, or sorry, arguments for immorality. The elementary arguments for immorality. So basically what we're looking at is someone says, okay, well, come on. I think we should do this. I think we should do that. What could they possibly think um, why you should be able to do this gross stuff? Says all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. And you're like, how did we get to the topic of stomachs? But God will do away with both of them, yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. So he is using some of his uh, oppositions, arguments here, and he's exposing them. The idea of all things are lawful to me. Look, I have been bought by the blood of the Lamb. I have been redeemed and forgiven of my sin. Who are you to tell me what I should and should not do? The word lawful is also means permissible. John 5.10, the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful, it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. Look, God gave me this body, God gave me these eyes, God gave me these desires, shouldn't I be able to do it? Lawful denotes that an action is possible in the sense that there are no hindrances or that the opportunity for it occurs to have the possibility to be able. So some would say, look, it, it's part of 
who I am and what I get to do. Freedom in Christ. Some would say that it's only physical. And that's where the whole stomach thing comes in, right? So look again. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. Well, what's the idea there? Look, God gave me the desire, and he gave me the physical tools to be able to gratify myself and to do these things. It's only external. In the Gentile world of Paul's day, Greek philosophers considered man's physical body of insignificant value while they regarded his soul to be all-important. So Corinth, Greek city, so we're dealing with this. They would say that your soul is everything and your body is just your body. So that's a pretty good excuse, right? I can go do whatever I want with my body, but it's not really my soul that's committing these atrocities. atrocities. Well, now we see, secondly, the elementary arguments against immorality. So we have two lame excuses and now we have some really good counterpoints that are being said. Well, let's look at the idea of all things are lawful for me. Well, he clarifies that and says, but not all things are profitable. Look, in Christ, we have freedom. All right. So you think of something like, let's just take music. Um, is it a sin to listen to rap music? No, it's not a sin to listen to rap music. All right. So that's a freedom that you have. You can have you can listen to rap music. You can listen to music with a drum. You can listen to rock music. Those are freedoms that you have. Right. But when it comes down to it, if you're going to listen to a song that glorifies sin. That promotes immorality and promotes gross stuff. Well, then that's not profitable for me. All right. I have the freedom in Christ to listen to different styles of music. But I can't go so far as to do things that will enter me into sin. And even if something is okay, like, look, is it a sin to play video games all day? Sounds kind of fun, right? You have a freedom in Christ to do that, but is it necessarily the most profitable thing? Now, if you're neglecting working, if you're neglecting, uh, you know, reading and praying and building up others, then yes, that would be a sin. But he says, even if it's lawful for you, it doesn't mean it's profitable. Profitable means to bear or bring together, to collect or contribute in order to help. Okay, you're running off and you're doing this sexual stuff or you're watching this stuff on YouTube and, you know, you're doing these things. Even if for some reason you thought that it was okay, it's not, what's it benefiting? The time that you're wasting on this? Oh, I don't have time to read. Oh, I don't have time to do this. And I don't have time to do my homework. And then you look at your screen time and all of the gross stuff that you're involved in. Simon Kistemacher says this, we have no right to do whatever we please without taking note of any harmful effect our behavior has on our fellow man. 1 Corinthians 10.23 says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. So he's going to come back to this idea and he's going to talk about it. So all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. And then he goes on to say, but I will not be mastered by anything. Sexual immorality, would you describe it as something that masters people? It does. It masters them. I mean, they make life decisions that are so weird and so wacky. I mean, look, just a practical example. I've seen guys who have a wonderful family and a beautiful wife, but they will sleep with someone that you would consider as quite ugly and you're like what is going on here it's not logical it's available 
right? It's available. You have this wonderful wife who's dedicated to you. You have this great family. Oh, but it's the thrill of the chase. And it's the, the sleeping around. And it's the, well, this doesn't, she's not satisfying me the way I want, so I'm going to do these types of things. All right? It warps. It's disgusting. And it masters you because you know, all right, this is a, this is a sin, Christian, that you're going to struggle with for the rest of your life. It simply is, okay? Don't let that sin master you. Unbeliever, you are going to be overwhelmed and consumed by this sin. You are dead in your sins. You have no response to righteousness. This is just who you are. There's no victory except in Christ. I will not let anything, I will not be mastered by anything. The implication we can draw from this is sexual immorality is one of those sins that can dominate and can consume you and can destroy your life. I mean, think of David. David is what? A man after God's own heart. He should have been out to battle. He should have been out to war. But in his idleness, he was in his palace. And he looks down and he sees Bathsheba. I mean, he already has other wives. He already has them. But he looks at her and she looks good. So what does he do? He takes her. And when that happens, she becomes pregnant. Okay? I don't know, but that's, that's how those things work. She becomes pregnant. So what does he have to do now? He has to lie. He has to trick. He has to deceive. And ultimately, he has to kill Uriah to cover those things up. At that point, sin, sexual immorality, had David. Had David. And if he could go back and redo it, he would never even do it again. You're here now. Don't even go down that road. Don't go down that path. I want you to go to Romans 6. Romans 6 is a description of any and every sin. This is not just sexual immorality, okay? Not just sexual immorality. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. This could be a prideful attitude. It could be a, a jealous or a covetous attitude. Don't let it sit on the throne in your brain and you know the you know the ratatouille where the rat's sitting on there and it has the hair strings and he's doing the things and that's how the chef cooks all right i know you're too old to ever watch that movie don't let that sin sit in your brain and rule over you and the decisions that are there all right instead what verse 11 even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to god in christ jesus do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. In Romans 6, Paul is answering that question of, look, okay, so I've been saved, not through my own works, but by the grace of God through faith. How much more awesome does God look if I continue to sin and he continues to forgive me? Well, that's terrible thinking. So he says, don't let sin reign. Don't let sin master you. And this is any and every type of sin. Don't let it do that to you. Sin will destroy will destroy and defeat you. I will not be mastered by anything. Now, let's look at this idea of it's not uh, the, the whole physical deal because that's what the world would say, right? 
uh, Satan, through his lies, wants to blind and deceive and to corrupt. So they say, look, it's just a physical deal. It's not only physical, but even if it was, that would still be sin. It says, yet the body is not for immorality. We are two parts. There is the eternal soul part of us, and then there is our fleshly body. Now, we do know that one day when we go to heaven and the Lord returns, we'll be reunited with our body and we'll have a perfect body. But the body itself isn't just some puppet. It's part of who we are and what we do. And it is not to be doing immorality. It is instead supposed to be for the Lord. What I do how I play, how I act, how I interact, where I spend my time, all of those things are supposed to be for the Lord, not just to please myself. Now, God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us through His power. The the earthly body that we have, one day will be united in Christ, but we will be able to overcome physical temptation because of who Christ is and what Christ does. Philippians 3.20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. We need to think that way. How I spend my time, what I do, what I watch. I am a part of God's kingdom. My home is in heaven. That stuff's not happening in heaven. I should not be participating in it now. Let's look at the evident arguments against immorality. The evident arguments against immorality. And I'm going to read this section. It says, what then? Oh, sorry, I've got to get out of Romans. Verse 15 Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Do you not know that you are one with Christ? Think about that. When I repent and place my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I have been transferred from the domain of darkness to the realm of light. I am now a child of God, but I am now united with Christ. He is the head. I'm part of the body. So what I do with my eyes and with my mind and with my body, it's like I'm bringing Christ along. Not even forgetting that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, right? It's more than just a physical act. It's more than just a physical thing. The one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her. And it goes on to cite, right? The two shall become one flesh. The idea all the way from Adam and Eve where two would join and they would be connected with one another. 
So if you're doing sexual immorality physically with someone, whether, you know, it's here, it's a prostitute, or whether it's a young lady or whatever it is, it's like you're physically joining with them. When it comes to the dating relationship, I've never heard someone say, I wish we did more physically before we got married. You hear people say they wish they hadn't gone so far. Marriage is a special thing. It's a special thing. And sex is for marriage. And what you need to consider and think through, all right, what are the, the fences and the safeguards? I know that your parents have different thoughts on when you should be dating, right? So going along whatever their guidelines are with that, but I'll tell you, you should treat them like a younger sister. That's what the Bible teaches us with, with honor and with purity, okay? Now, can you hold hands? Can you give each other a kiss on the cheek? You know, those things aren't written out perfectly in Scripture, all right? But that's what you need to think through is any time where you are aggressive physically, it only snowballs to more. It only goes to more. So those things more often than not go bad fast because we want it. We want what's supposed to be going on in marriage and we push for that. It is a special thing to interact physically with a woman. So we need to be very careful to guard our heart, to guard their heart, and to protect their purity. Do you not know that your temple, uh, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You ever think of that? You know, you already knew that the Holy Spirit was indwelling you, right? Holy Spirit's indwelling you. So when you watch something, who is also watching it? Holy Spirit's inside of you. We think that, you know, when you go do gross stuff, when you take your phone, you don't go sit out in the living room. When you go on the computer and search for stuff, you don't sit down in front of everybody and say, hey, look. Why? Because it's shameful. We, we know that it's wrong, right? We want to go somewhere where it's dark. We want to go somewhere where it's hidden. We want to turn on the, the private browsing on our safari or whatever. And the reality is you know way more about phones than your parents will ever know. And they can put safeguards and they can put restrictions and they can do all that stuff, but it comes down to your resolve and your will to flee from this. You run and you hide because you don't want anyone to watch you. Well, the eyes of the Lord are in every place. He's watching you. He's with you, seeing what you do, how you do it. And we try to turn off the Holy Spirit for a time and tune him out. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Do you not know that you are one with Christ? Members means parts. You are a part of Christ. Romans 12, 4 through 5. For just as we have many members in one body, all the members do not have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Demosthenes says we keep mistresses for pleasure, concubines for daily concubinage, but wives we have in order to produce children legitimately and to have a trustworthy guardian of our domestic property. Isn't that disgusting? That was the mindset of the day in Corinth. They would go to the temple to sleep with prostitutes as a functionality of worshiping their God that they created. This is an atrocity. 
And Christians, when you live differently and when you don't participate in these things and when you value your wife as you should, you provide a light to a dark and dying world. The word cleave means to be glued to someone. The relationship is as close as two pieces of glass lying on top of one another. You ever tried that before? Two pieces of glass? It's impossible to lift the one piece from the other because the air pressure glues them together as it were. And that is the relationship that you're wanting to go towards. You're wanting to go towards. I just want you to think for a moment that your potential person that you want to marry, okay, do you want her making out with a bunch of guys? Do you want her snuggle snuggling a bunch of guys? Do you want her watching movies alone with a guy in her room? Do you want her looking at pornography on the phone? Do you want her scrolling through Instagram, lusting over all of those guys? Why, why do you do it? We should be getting ready for marriage. And a lot of times guys think that, look, as soon as I get married, that means that then we get to have an intimate relationship and all of this will go away. That baggage stays with you. Those images stay with you. Those, that battle stays with you. Battle stays with you. Your, temp, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. A lot of people use this to say, like, don't eat sweets and don't smoke and stuff like that. That's another topic for another day. But the idea is purity. All right? Purity. What I see, what I do, what I think, my body, I want it to be pure. The temple was the place that people went to worship the Lord. Your body is where the Holy Spirit resides and you represent Christ. So let's wrap this up. First of all, don't buy the lies of this world. Don't buy the lies of this world. Isaiah 55, Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Incline your ear, come to me, listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. The Bible is screaming out. We don't have time to go to Proverbs 9. The Bible is screaming out that immorality is always dumb. And God is the only one that has words that will lead to life. So you need to come and drink. You need to come and listen. You need to run and flee from that immorality. But what lies does the world try to sell you? It's only physical. It's not that big of a deal. Everybody does it. I need to find out if I'm compatible with this person before I marry her. Because when I marry her, I'm stuck with her, right? So I need to experience her, and she needs to experience me. Well, we need to live together before we can actually tell if we're truly compatible. And that's what the world will throw at you. Don't buy the lies of this world. Some will say, you're already forgiven. Go ahead and do whatever you want. It's only physical. It will bring you pleasure. Joy, satisf satisfaction. Learn from Amnon. You remember who Amnon was? One of David's sons. All he wanted was what? His half-sister. That's all he wanted. 
He lusted after her. And he eventually raped her. And the moment that he had her, he what? Was disgusted with her and regretted it. Too late. Her life was destroyed. His life was destroyed. The kingdom was ripped apart over this. How will you know if you should marry someone if you don't have that intimate relationship first? Well, secondly, don't buy into lies of the world. Secondly, flee immorality. Whether it's a physical temptation. All right, you feel special, right? Think of Joseph. When Potiphar's wife came and said, lie with me. It could have been that he got away with it and Potiphar never would have known. That's not who Joseph was. He would know and she would know. And so when that physical temptation came, boom, ran. So if you are in a relationship with a young lady, all right, I highly encourage you to always stay in the light. Always go out with other people. Don't ever isolate yourself. You should not be in your room alone with her. What do you think is going to happen, right? Watch a movie out downstairs or whatever it is. Go somewhere with friends, those types of things. Be very smart about it. One of the things in premarital counseling is I tell them, look, I will perform your wedding ceremony. I will do uh, your premarital counseling. But until you're married, you cannot be alone together. You can't be at his apartment. That sounds like it stinks, right? But that's when we're like, we're like, man, we're almost there. We're almost to the finish line. That's when things get the toughest. Those same things should be in your dating relationship to help you. Because, guys, it's tough. It could be a mental temptation. And we look at David. He looked and he saw. Well, seeing, right? If you're scrolling through something and something pops up, seeing isn't wrong. Well, it happened, but what do you do with it? Ooh. It's you see and you want, you see and you lust, you see and you linger. Well, that's the bad part. That's the, that is the sin. So seeing, and then you just got to run from it. You have to flee that immorality. In the moment of temptation, what should David have done? Should have closed his eyes. Should have gone inside. Should have said, you know what? I'm going to saddle and I'm going to go up to war. I need to get out of here. James 1, the process of temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I want you to go over there. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Oh, but it was too tough. It was too hard. I couldn't, I couldn't resist. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Before the temptation, what should David have done? He should have been out doing things. Sexual things happen when we are idle, when we are lazy, when we are disengaged, we've had a rough day, we want to make up for it in some way. Something didn't go our way, so we're going to please ourselves in a different... The escape is running from it, but it's also keeping yourself from ever even coming across it, from ever even coming across it. What I would leave you with, all right, if you're listening to this and you're saying, look, I don't really care. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, how I'm doing it. All right. That's not good. You need to repent and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're sitting here and saying, look, I'm just going to keep running after that sin. 
well, then you are wallowing in that sin. You are dead in that sin. That sin has mastered you, and it will continue to master, master you. But if you repent and believe in Christ, you'll receive forgiveness, and you'll now have the ability to do the right thing. If you're in Christ, take some time. Think through. What do I need to confess to the Lord? If I have a steady time of reading and praying, am I making that a regular part? Guard, God, guard my heart. God, prepare me. God, keep me from these things. But then, what in your life is an access point? Is it a, is it a particular app? Delete it. Have, tell your dad. Have him restrict it from your phone. Is it a particular person? You need to avoid that person. Whatever it is, is it a, is it a show? Is it a song that puts your mind in that? And we need to flee from it both physically and mentally. Talk to your dad. Say, Dad, I, I need some help. Can you help me? He's not going to say, I can't believe you, you dumb kid. He's going to go, oh, hey, struggle with it. It's a lifelong, let me help you. This is a battle, and I want you to win. What do we need to do? Have safeguards put on your, your computer. Never use your computer alone in your room if you don't have those safeguards. And it goes on, it goes on, and it goes on. Talk to a youth leader. What, what do I, I, I'm stuck in this pattern. Help me. What do I need to do? All right, there's software that you can load on things and stuff like that, but it really comes better from an accountability, someone that's loving you and someone that's caring for you. All right? Sin is shameful. Sin is wrong. Let's get rid of that sin, and let's get help in the areas that we need to so that we can have victory over that sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We recognize that we wrestle with sin in our life. May we root that sin out and follow you. We know that sexual temptation is something that is going to be a, a lifelong battle for us as men. Pray that we would avert our eyes, that we would dedicate our mind to you, that we would not blame the circumstances the people around us, but we would look at our own heart knowing that we have the Holy Spirit and that we can be pure and have victory because you've given us the way of escape. Often that way of escape is the mental preparation and the groundwork that we need to lay as Christian men going into any situation that we're in. We love you, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.